Section 38 of A Minor War History. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Hampton. A Minor War History by Martin Alonzo Haynes. Letter number 102. Point Lookout. Lower Potomac, Maryland, August 1, 1863. We have a mail at last, and I was fortunate enough to get four letters from you. Now that we are here, it looks as if I would not have much of anything to do except to write letters. We got here yesterday forenoon and are now fairly well settled. We are camped close to the beach on smooth level ground. We have eight tents and a plenty of them so we are not crowded for room. Dan Desmond and I have a tent all to ourselves. Jess Dewey is acting orderly sergeant, so he has his own tent. Afternoon. I was called away rather suddenly this morning to go on guard. Now, coming back to the guard headquarters from dinner, I have brought my writing materials along so as to finish my letter today. Talking of comfort. I am sitting in the shade of big pine trees within two rods of the shore of Chesapeake Bay, a delicious breeze blowing from the water and the waves rolling up on the beach. This was at General Marston's headquarters. The first thing this morning when Reveille was blown, nearly every man in the regiment made a dash for the water for a plunge and a swim. This was a fashionable summer resort before the war. The waters abound in crabs and the boys have already got to catching them. When I was up to camp this noon, one of the boys had a kettleful on boiling. We had a ration of salt horse, corned beef, today. The first we have had since leaving Washington for Falmouth. It seemed like an old friend. On the steamer coming down, I had a long chat with one of the batch of prisoners we were taking along. He was a native of Alexandria, and on the way down the river he pointed out the places where he had been for a good time before the war. We had been in the same fights, quite a number, and it was very interesting to compare notes. The day we left Washington, I was on guard at the gate, and there was a flock of success women there to bid goodbye to friends and give them things to eat or wear. Among the prisoners was an Irishman who formerly lived in Manchester. I recognized him as soon as I saw him. He was down south when the war broke out and was forced into the army. He fell out on the march on purpose to be taken and is very anxious to take the oath of allegiance as are many others, especially the foreigners. Letter 103, Point Lookout, Maryland, August 4, 1863 This forenoon, Curly Converse and I went out to a creek near camp hunting for oysters. We found and shucked till we had three pints of solid meats. There were a lot of crabs there, some almost as big as lobsters, and I soon found out that a crab is a very pugnacious animal. I ran across one in shoal water hardly deep enough to cover my feet and playfully tapped him with my knife just to see him run. He ran. So did I, for I was barefooted and he made straight for my toes with the water boiling. Soon I encountered another, and just to make sure, I wrapped him. He came on like the other, but there was no surprise this time, and I speared him with my knife. The boys bring in bushels of them, and they are excellent eating, as good as lobsters. George Slade has not been with us for some time, but we expect he will join us soon. 
We did not know it then, but he was in fact a prisoner, having been picked up by the rebels somewhere below Harper's Ferry. He never got back to the regiment, but died at Camp Parole. Letter number 104. Point Lookout, Maryland, August 8, 1863. Ed Bailey's father came down here the night before last and is going to be regimental sutler, so they say. There is some pretty sharp talk by some of the Manchester men who affirm that he would be more at home as sutler for a rebel regiment. I do not know, but I guess we can balance the colonel's good services against his father's political shortcomings. You asked me to tell you about Steve Palmer and blank, so the story has got to Manchester, has it? These are the facts. On the first day's march from Falmouth, Steve had some whiskey in his wagon, which he was selling to those who wanted the stuff. Blank was officer of the guard that day. He went to Steve, and Steve gave him a drink. Then he brought a canteen to Steve and said, Here, Steve, let me have some whiskey in this canteen, and I will pay you when I get some money. Steve let him have it, and he went directly to the colonel and reported Steve for selling whiskey. Steve was at once taken from his wagon and put into the ranks, and at Gettysburg was very badly wounded, and if he lives will be a cripple for life. He died of his wounds. The affair naturally has created a good deal of feeling. Steve did wrong in taking liquor upon his team to sell, but there was an element of treachery in what blank did that I wouldn't want charged up to my credit. We are living pretty well now for army rations. Here's our bill of fare for the past three days. Wednesday, breakfast. Baked beans, coffee. Dinner, beefsteak, supper, coffee. Thursday, breakfast. Potatoes, boiled pork, boiled fresh beef, boiled salt beef, coffee. Dinner, soup, parsley greens. Supper, coffee. Friday, breakfast, potatoes, boiled beef, coffee. Dinner, boiled dish of potatoes and parsley greens. In addition, we have, each day, a loaf of soft tack, baked here on the point and occasionally a ration of molasses. We call that high living. And Company I is going to have something extra for dinner tonight, roast beef and potatoes. The beef is roasting in two Dutch ovens. A big school of porpoises went up the river yesterday. They came so near inshore that some of the boys fired at them, and I should judge hit some from the commotion that was created and the way they dug away from shore. Ed Bailey and I struck up the beach for an old boat that lay there, in which to get out and have a crack at them. The colonel had a carbine and an old stocking full of cartridges, and I picked up an ancient oar. We got the craft afloat, and I paddled out quite a piece. But the waves ran high, and the water poured through the boat in a dozen places, until it was a question of pull about or swim for it. So we put about and got ashore before the old tub sank. Sixteen of us took a sail out to the mouth of the river two or three days ago. It was very rough, and the boat was terribly overloaded, and it was only by good seamanship that we saved ourselves from going under. I've just run across another Manchester fellow, James, who used to be city messenger. He is with the 12th Regiment Sutler. Now I must tell you the story of Bill Ramsdell, for it is decidedly interesting, although rather rough on Bill. A short time after we came on from New Hampshire, Bill went to Concord and reported to Major Whittlesey. 
Well, no sooner had he reported than he goes away again and is not seen about Concord for two or three days when he again reports. But this time the major puts him under arrest as a deserter, and when the squad of deserters leave New Hampshire under a guard of convalescence, Bill is packed off with the rest. They go to Boston and stop at Fort Warren for a time, and while there the prisoners are put to all sorts of menial work. Part of the time Bill was haying on the parapet, which was not at all bad, but after that he was given a mule's job hauling coal. A dozen of the prisoners would load a cart, hitch on, and drag it along, dump their load, and so on. All this I learned from George Silly, who was left in New Hampshire sick, and who was guarding prisoners three or four weeks. He said Bill took it all very philosophically. He couldn't help himself. He is now in Washington, and will probably be sent to the regiment before long. The guard duty is divided now so that we do it one week and the twelfth the next. During our week, every man is on guard every other day, but we are not overworked, as we have no drilling to do. My tent mate, Dan Desmond, is one of the quaintest old Irishmen you ever met. He loads me with his adventures and experiences until my ribs fairly ache from the laughing. Every night he regales me with some story, and a good one, to go to bed on. The seventeenth fellows will be discharged within a few days. Two in my company have died in the service. Tibbets, killed at Gettysburg, and Ingalls, died of disease. The laugh is on Steve Smiley, and it is too good to keep. The day we came down from Washington, Steve ran down to some place on the street to get some papers. I don't know just what, but he didn't get them, because the colonel had been there before him. On his way back to the barracks, only a little ways, he ran into the provost guard, and as he had no past, they gathered him in and chucked him into the central guard house, where they kept him overnight. The next morning they let him out, and he got on a boat and came down. He is pretty touchy about it, and the boys like to thorn him about patronizing the central hotel. The boys catch some nice fish here, among which are sea trout, which the natives tell us will be very plenty in a short time. There's a big kettle of beans on the fire parboiling, which will be ready baked for breakfast. You see, I have to keep bringing up grub matters, but it does seem good to have a plenty. End of section 38. Recording by Paul Hampton.